0: This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuacy and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: In today's episode, we have an honest and vulnerable conversation with Conor Kelly, who is the founder of the podcast named Comeback, where he interviews guests who have overcome adversity. He will share his own comeback from depression and suicidal thoughts, and how he built a system that enabled his recovery, and to find the courage to get out of his comfort zone for personal growth. If you ever struggled with mental health or want to learn more about it, you will find Conor's story very inspirational, and we hope this episode will help you speak about this topic more openly.
0: Welcome back everybody to another episode of Creators in Saigon. So today we have the pleasure to meet with Connor Kelly. Originally from England, Connor des- decided to come two years ago to teach English in order to step out of his comfort zone. In the process, he decided to start his own podcast named Comeback, where he interviews guests who have overcome adversity and started creative projects. And since we are sharing a very similar audience, I'm sure some of you have already heard of him. Me, Dana, and actually Nico now, we have been interviewed by Connor. So we will go more in depth about his podcast in the second half of this interview, but we wanted to focus more first on Connor, the mind behind the podcast and his vast personal experience with mental health and his own inspirational comeback. So welcome Connor. How are you? Connor.
2: Excellent. It's great to be here. Thank you. Hello, Connor. Hello, Moni.
0: I'm your host, Wacy, today, and we have Moni as her first co-host.
1: I'm excited also to talk to Connor.
0: So that's it. That was that was it for the introduction. It's been a long time that we haven't done a physical interview. So I might have butchered some of the words. I am sorry, everybody. But let's go in into the first question. So we wanted to talk about your upbringing and a little bit of your history with mental health. So first, how was your upbringing in England?
2: Sure. Well, to be honest with you, I would describe it as quite idyllic. Like a lot of people would say that, oh, I had this in my childhood. That was an issue. I was bullied, but I had absolutely nothing. Like it was like almost too good where my parents are great. Siblings are great. There aren't really any issues. So why that transpired to difficulties in my later life was a challenge. But overall, I think my upbringing was generally quite idyllic. Yeah. Happy families, happy area. Didn't really go too, through too many external crisis, shall we say. But overall, it was quite... Yeah, quite effective. From Manchester, which is quite a vibrant city in the north of England. So overall, I really had quite a happy childhood. And I don't really have a sob story, such and such, (laughs) but we can go more into the challenges. But that was my upbringing in a nutshell.
0: All right. Very good. How was your relationship with your parents?
2: Very, very good. Yeah, I don't have anything bad to say. (laughs) (laughs) Not just because they will listen to this, but yeah, extremely good. Very, very supportive in all my endeavors. So... Yeah, I owe them quite a lot. So yeah, it's always very good.
0: So you stayed in Manchester from what age to what age?
2: Uh, From, well, I was born in the Netherlands, but moved to Manchester when I was two and stayed there until I was 18 before university in Sheffield.
0: All right. And so when you went to university, you chose journalism. Yes, indeed. Why? Uh, (laughs) I
2: chose it because I find people quite interesting. I find their stories interesting. I find how they dealt with whatever situation they faced, fascinating. And I also really enjoyed reading and writing. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of, say, dyscalculia or dyspraxia. Are you familiar? No. Cool. It's basically your spatial awareness and your concepts of numeracy are pretty poor. So math, science, I was fairly useless. But when it came to words, I had some sort of talent slash understanding of how to work words so i thought this would transfer well in journalism and also some curiosity for people's lives so i thought why not go down the journalism route and that's ultimately why i picked it mainly because i enjoyed english and i had huge curiosity so i thought that would satisfy both mediums
1: oh that's interesting
0: so if i summarize this you had an abrigan in england that was quite idyllic yes Uh, your relationship with your parents was quite all right it seems that you have a very logical and you knew yourself for the reason why you went to journalism in a university but then i think at that time too that's where you suffered from some mental health issues so can you tell us more a little bit about how that came to be
2: yeah i can i think i always knew there was something wrong So I'm slightly contradicting myself here because I just mentioned I had an idyllic childhood. But there was no external reason. I was never bullied, never abused. There was never anything to pinpoint. So I just thought I was a weirdo. To be completely honest, I thought, why am I just sad quite regularly? I don't have any idea why this is happening. Maybe it's just me. I should just man up. And at this point, there was no educational mental health. If you said mental health to me, I would think hospital ward I would think mm. banded round the head I would have these outdated beliefs and it was only when I was 18 that I went to uni and I thought that somehow everything would change it was just Manchester that was the issue and then I realized quite quickly oh no <laughs> this is not and nothing bad happened externally at uni either it's not like I got there and it was an awful city or I was with awful people nothing I just realized shit there is an issue I'm 18 now. How do I get out of this? So I, somehow I stumbled across depression and I looked into the symptoms and every single one, I ticked the box, every single one. Str- uh, struggle, concentrating, yep. Overeating, yep. Oversleeping, yep. Every single one. And I thought, shit, there is an issue here. Sorry, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I thought there will, <clears throat> there is some kind of issue and how do I fix this? As in, why has it happened to me? is it a chemical imbalance? How should I deal with this issue? So I then started learning, understanding, exploring more about it. When I was 19, there was a huge existential crisis, I would say, a huge lifestyle dip. However, up until that, I was just exploring it and trying to navigate symptoms. But it was definitely university where I realized that depression, anxiety were quite prominent.
1: And I I have a question, Like, uh, how was your lifestyle, your support system at that time? Because I remember when I was in high school, we didn't talk about mental health at all. It was not even mentioned. But I know, for example, that I have classmates who had depression or anorexia at that time. And in our view, they came from a really normal family, very loving. And I just wonder, what is it that you think? could be the cause at that time for your depression.
2: Yeah, with me, I do believe that it is a chemical imbalance to a degree. But also, I have to take some kind of control. I wasn't eating particularly well. Student diet, which is pot noodles, beans on (laughs) toasts, kebabs. I was in the university lifestyle, which is a lot of partying. I would go out three or four times a week, which obviously isn't great. (laughs) My sleeping would be atrocious. I would go to bed at 8 a.m. and wake up at 5 p.m. (laughs)
1: you yeah. <laughs> uh, said so that yeah, you had that yeah. uk lifestyle yeah but the,
2: <laughs> the problem is when it got to the winter months by the time i would go to bed at am, it would only just become light so it would still be dark mm-hmm. and by the time i would wake up it was dark so i wouldn't see sunlight for three weeks mm-hmm. of course you're going to be depressed if you can't <laughs> see sunlight so that was a factor and then that was mainly when I was 18. I was a bit of a wreck, to be honest with you, but probably not externally. Like I don't think you would look and think, oh, this guy's a wreck. But inside I was in quite a lot of turmoil. And then it got a lot worse when I was 19 in my second year. But ever since then, I've started exploring the comeback and we are at this point. But during that point, I think there were lifestyle factors, but also a chemical imbalance. As I said before, there's no trigger. There's no external point that I can point to and say, oh, it was my relationship with because that was fine. So, yeah, I think it's just a combination of perhaps small factors like diet, lifestyle, brain chemistry that I just needed to work on, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it sounds to me that uh, you didn't know what self-care is about at that
0: time.
2: I had not a clue, seriously. So exploring that has changed a lot of things, shall we say.
0: I think it's also like when you have too too much of a normal upbringing, you're not given the proper tool to deal with Uneasiness or like uncomfort, like mental health issues. Mm. So when they arise, you're like, I shouldn't have them. I'm normal. Yeah. And so the depression for you started, I mean, you pinpointed it at 18, Mm. but did you see trace of it before this?
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably when I was seven or eight, so a really young age, where I just thought I'm being silly, to be honest with you. I'd remember certain moments (laughs) where there wasn't any reason absolutely no external reason mm-hmm. but i'd feel very sad lonely upset and i thought what the? What on earth is going on here mm-hmm. however at that age you don't really know how to process and i didn't really want to tell anybody because i didn't want to seem weak i went to an all-boys school as well oh. and that brings its own set of challenges i overall thought it was great i had a really good time <laughs> and it was fun i will admit however that's if what you, you think <laughs> If you were open about mental health at that point, I don't mm. remember anyone ever being because this is 2008 and we were all 12. So that yeah. like, would not have been knowledge it's of this stuff.
1: Not manly enough to have yeah. mental health You're in an all boys same. school.
2: That would have been a reason, yeah, for sure.
0: It's Vietnam 2021, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the word I think for mental problems or actually like being crazy—that's the translation I think in Vietnamese—and so like a lot of people don't want to accept that they have you know and mental health is. Everybody needs to care about their mental health. But a lot of people refuse to say they have depression or anything like this. Yeah, that's Vietnam right now. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting to hear your story because you said like it's a, because of the chemical imbalance. And, and of mm. course, there is some factor in that. But like hearing your about lifestyle, and we kind of go back to self care where we have to mm-hmm. eat the right food, uh, the right nutrition to, mm-hmm. to feel good in our own body but if we don't have anyone around us to tell us like you know like uh, Mm -hmm. a lack of sleep gonna cause you depression then you don't know actually like and then you think it's something wrong with you and then that conversation in your head even make you affected even more Mm -hmm. because you think it's something you should not
2: do or be Mm. well I think that one reason why I left was because of that approach where if in my early 20s, I would have said to people in the UK, oh yeah, meditation, self-care, <laughs> yoga. Like, they would just think, what are you talking about, to oh, yeah. be quite honest. So I thought that one reason, and we will touch upon this, that I decided to do a new chapter, is to explore this in an environment where it's probably a bit more, I can't think of a better word than normal, I guess. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's another thing, the environment of the UK, where it's not really, or it certainly wasn't when I was growing up, discussed about... In such a normal manner, I suppose. Maybe that's changing. I've not been Mm -hmm. back in two years, so I can't say too much, but that's how it was when I was growing up. There was certainly some kind of stigma or hush hush attitude about it.
0: Mm -hmm. I feel you. You speak very well. Thank you. (laughs) You speak very well. (laughs) I've tried to practice this year. (laughs) Yeah, this is very nice. Like the information is flowing out. I love it.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to hear actually uh, your journey in that area since you moved to Vietnam, I guess, the last two years, I was in Europe the last two years and I see it's also kind of like a trend that it's just kind of, it's coming up. Yeah. I mean, it was always there, but like it was somehow a little bit more hidden maybe, but uh, maybe because I also surrounded myself with people mm. who were so in spirituality, mm. yoga and meditation, it became more like a normal for me mm-hmm. while I was in Europe, in the Netherlands, uh, and I also see many people mm. in the UK following that. So how was your experience?
2: Um, Since I came to Vietnam, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, throughout the whole of 2019, I was really keen on exploring this stuff. I would read every book. I'm quite an avid reader. That's why I went to journalism, watched a lot of videos, listened to a lot of podcasts and thought, one day I'll start my own. That did happen. (laughs) And (laughs) so I was very keen. And to be honest with you, again, I'll probably have to credit my parents where I was drifting a bit in the UK. I'd just left uni didn't have a clue where to go. I knew I wanted to do something within the journalistic realm, so podcasting or writing or helping other people out. And I didn't know how to do that because now I teach. I would not teach in the UK due to the environment. So they've always been quite encouraging in going off and trying new things. I'll use my dad as an example. About five years ago decided he wanted to go back to India. And since then, travels extensively to about 20 countries a year. Oh, wow. So he has the travel book. And he was very encouraging both my parents to say, I think you should do a TEFL course, learn teaching abroad, and go to a different country. And after being held back by fear for quite a few months, one day I just did it, started applying, Vietnam came up, here we go. And since coming here, July 2019, I've tried to do as many things as possible that will benefit me going forward. So this is connecting with other people, reading, exploring nature, traveling, trying new skills, and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Because I believed when I was younger, and I think I still have it slightly as a belief, but I've exaggerated it over time, that I'm quite introverted and not the greatest communicator. We actually joke (laughs) in my family that I'm not the chatty one. I'm not the one it, due to small talk yet now I thought right well podcasting will definitely challenge me in that regard because yeah. I will have to yeah. speak <laughs> to someone so that's now what I do because it's a bit of a challenge uh, not as much as I made it out to be but it is still a challenge so I think to be honest to answer your question in this sh- <laughs> to sum it up <laughs> is to ch- challenge myself and also do things that I know future Connor will benefit from
1: oh that's amazing there is this myth about introvert people I mean I myself an introverted person and I'm sitting here and it's so interesting to hear because we often label ourselves we are introverts so it means we don't speak to other people we mm-hmm. just like to close ourselves in our room with our books and that's it but that's completely not true and I'm, I'm trying to and I also see that you are working on it to get away from the label mm-hmm. and really just explore like who I am we don't have to live by labels.
0: How do you define introversion? An extroversion.
1: Introversion is when you gain energy by mm-hmm. being by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the extrovert is more gaining energy from someone else. So mm-hmm. basically, you have to you go outside. That. I label myself as like a introverted extrovert. Let's call mm-hmm. it
0: that way. You, c- you can be outgoing and you know be comfortable with public, but you need to go back home. By yourself to recharge. And a lot of the people don't know that, actually. They think that they're comfortable talking. That means they're extroverted. But no, if you're depleted at the end of the day, you're probably introverted.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I've certainly learned that.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I wanted to jump back, actually, to the 18, 19 years old, Connor. Yes. Because I think we jumped an important moment where I think, like, you know, you hit your rock bottom or you really went deep into that depression and so if you want to talk a little bit more about this because I think it's really important I remember on your Facebook you published a text yes that was very beautiful about you know like suicide and and all those things so tell us
2: yeah sure so when I was 19 so we've talked about 18 where I was exploring it but I wasn't really doing that much to benefit me where I would understand it but not apply but I would still continue eating a lot like going out partying and it got to a point The start of 2017, where I started strongly considering suicide, like in elaborate detail. So I wrote down a suicide letter and I had it in my bedroom and I was going to do it on the 10th of February 2017 and I had it planned for ages. And I can't, I don't really know what happened. Like there isn't like this grand epiphany where I decided not to, but ultimately over the net coming... I say months weeks up until it probably weeks actually it was pretty brutal um I kind of realized yeah this I can probably find a way out it's going to be quite tricky but I will probably get a way out of this uh, still since then there's been there's been thoughts and there's been serious cons- contemplation not as regularly as 2017 but I was definitely thinking it was on the cards for sure and with that I thought yeah there's no point like I will never be able to get out of this situation why even bother? And I will probably hurt people if I continue. So for example, I wouldn't hurt other people when I was going through my self-destruct phase, shall we say, but I would definitely hurt me. And then I thought, what if I end up hurting other people? They'd probably be better off without me. And so I convinced myself that everybody was better off without me, which was looking back ridiculous, but I genuinely believed it. And that was the scary point. And yeah, from doing that, I basically, a few months later passed and the post to is referring to, I thought one day, why don't I get this out? Because I'm sure there are other people who are also mm. considering or have considered or know somebody who is affected. And yeah, one day I just had a splurge of inspiration, I guess, typed it all on Facebook, posted it out. And there are some pretty brutal bits. I mean, happy to read it. I think it's <laughs> like paragraph two where I'm like, yeah, I've contemplated suicide in elaborate detail. And people think, whoa, like I didn't leave any stone unturned i wasn't you know yeah. <laughs> hedging it or anything i had a note it was on my bedroom i still it was a ridiculous letter i think i said i can't tell you how to feel but please don't be sad something ridiculous <laughs> 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 I, I obviously wasn't thinking correctly uh-huh. and yeah since posting that like i've had people from high school primary school acquaintances friends say yep similar etc and i use it as my reminder i can't, i know now when it was posted 6th of july 2017 and when it comes to the 6th of july i come across it and think Oof. That was the first time that I really went there publicly because now I'm quite open about it. In fact, very open. I don't really shine away from it, mm-hmm. etc. But back in 2015 to mid-2017, I would whisper it to people. When I was first confessing that I had depression to my friends, I'd whisper it to them. I'd say, yeah, yeah, I've uh, kind of been feeling depressed. <laughs> like I've went to it and they'd be thinking, mm-hmm. nowadays, I feel like the stigma's gone to a point where people say, yeah, I'm struggling. But at that point, there really wasn't the knowledge, so I was like, "Guys, I'm struggling with depression," but I would really hide mm. it. And so, in that that post that Twacey's referring to, I just let everything out there and went, "Yeah, I've been extremely depressed. I've been suicidal. Came very, very close. Realized that I can probably, if I can drag myself out of this situation, then I can face a lot of things." And so, the last four years, I suppose, since posting that, every time I become tempted, and it has come very close at certain points too, of you know thoughts coming in. I've thought, right, I need to get over this. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the boxer Tyson Fury.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes,
2: I've been a mm-hmm. huge fan of his comeback in the last few years yeah, where yeah. he went through the same issues at the same time. I remember when I was like contemplating suicide really, really low, he was also at the same point. And then when I was getting better, slowly, he was getting better. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up winning a fight somehow. When he lost 400 pounds came back from drugs etc and i thought well if he can do it so can i oh, voice break if he can do it so can i and so yeah then i gradually decided to keep going keep pushing and ultimately try and help both myself and other people with what i've gone through
1: oh I, my god that's I've so constant
0: goosebumps <laughs> since you've been talking about this, this yeah I see. Is, this is
1: Wow. it's so okay. courageous
0: thank you so much for sharing first yeah no thank worries. you thank you it's i i know yeah. it's not easy i mean you've done it with the with that letter which is you need to read it it's very beautiful very well written it's not easy to talk about it yes it's indeed. really not easy and yeah. i and i haven't met a lot of people that are so well spoken about it so i'm it's a it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast today and to talk about this and um did you have something to say I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: just still amazed like how yeah. courageous you are to openly talk about it because I don't know how old are you, but like it's, it's so such a taboo to talk openly about depression. Mm. Uh, you know, when you see your classmates in high school cutting themselves, for example, and you only see it, but like, you don't hear them talking about it mm-hmm. because it's a taboo. And you actually had, was so courageous to actually get yourself out, find like basically an idol or like kind of like a role model that you think mm. would inspire you to get over what mm. you have.
2: So. Yeah. There are quite a few, but he's just one prominent example, I suppose. And I talk about in quite. I suppose quite i'm not sure of the word maybe slightly blunt like i speak exactly how it was because if you go through like a suicidal period it is tricky and Mm -hmm. it's obviously not glamorous so i might as well speak of how it was there were things like writing letters there were things like self-harm there were seriously nihilistic thoughts so i might as well share it how it was and then focus it onto how you come back which is the key thing because it doesn't matter what happens to you it's how you come back Comeback back doesn't be the setback. I know I'm plugging the pod a bit here, yeah. but that's ultimately what I realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what I try to do, to be honest with you. Just share that, yep, this did happen. It was 100% like this, make it as raw as possible, but also share mm-hmm. the positive side that there is a way out. And hopefully if one person can benefit from it, the better. But I'm lucky that quite a few seem to have. I've received positive messages as a result and I'll just keep doing it for as long as I feel like it will make a difference
0: i'm trying to compare this with my addiction history is there a a rock bottom that you had
2: um there isn't like one moment to be honest i I suppose a few times where i thought right okay there's no point living anymore Mm -hmm. but that was you know there was never like one like huge Mm -hmm. moment where i was on my knees or anything Yeah, just a few really low moments where i thought damn i can't get out of this situation Mm -hmm. like no matter how hard i try, but somehow and i don't exactly know what it is to be honest with you whether it's I'm not particularly religious etc but somehow I managed to end up coming back and I feel like maybe there were signs that it should not end this way like there is more from me but I don't mm. know exactly what it was there wasn't a rock bottom
0: moment yeah, that's spirituality maybe <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not a religion no it's it's beautiful anyway and and again thank you so for sharing especially when you said that you know you you still have those thoughts sometimes they still come back and to see you you know like you have a i feel like you have a system in place right now you've gained the knowledge and so when they arise again those uh, those type of emotions or the type of thoughts what do you do now
2: uh, i see the bigger picture nowadays mm-hmm. i recognize that at that point of time the experience consciousness overall perspective i had was very limited and very nihilistic mm-hmm. and i recognize that was due to you know an illness i suppose and now i look back i've I kind of count the amount of times that I thought, "Oh, I couldn't do something," but then I did. And to be honest with you, it it's not as rare now. I think nowadays I almost give myself permission. Where okay, mm-hmm. I'm struggling today, for example, but like, look at what you've achieved. You didn't think you could move country, you did. You didn't think you would be any use to anyone, you are, etc. So I, I just go with it. And if I have a bad day, I give myself permission to just yeah, it's my time of the month. Just relax, just watch TV, not. No, no pressure. I think as long as I have the internal locus of control and the perspective that this really does just pass and just observe my thoughts without reacting to them, same with my emotions, then ultimately I'll be okay and I'll be able to perform at the best level that I can possibly do. Mm-hmm. So I tend to see the bigger picture nowadays, but that came from experience and some pretty hard knocks. So I'm lucky that it happened because now I can see things with a clearer vision, but that's that's what happened.
1: Yeah.
0: were you always i'm guessing that you were not always um able to express all of this information in such a concise and beautiful way what are some of the literature that really helped you
2: quite a few do you know Mm -hmm. someone called paul mckenna no okay he is a british hypnotherapist mm-hmm. and i was reading quite long-winded books like the chimp paradox and the seven habits of highly effective people oh yeah yeah you know that one yeah, <laughs> yeah we all did that one. <laughs> and i didn't i didn't have a particular guide or a quote-unquote bible and one day i walked into a library and there's a book saying seven days to change your life and i thought that's a ridiculous yeah, title yeah. but i might as well try it because i was yeah. having a really rough day so I sat in the library, opened it, and within 40 pages, there's a set of techniques that you would use and a set mm. of um, set of paragraphs that put things into perspective. So I thought, I might as well try this. Tried it. I thought, wow, I feel much better about this situation. <laughs> and then he goes, okay, there's a trance as well. I thought, there's a trance? And he says, yeah, where you lie down and listen to... Paul McKenna speak for 30 minutes in like a hypnotic way and i thought this is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> i'm not going to sit down on my bed and listen to a 50 th- year old man talk to me saying you are calm and i thought i'll try one day <laughs> felt amazing <Yeah. laughs> really good I thought, i'm gonna keep doing this so he was my first influence i suppose and to be honest with you i probably wouldn't have made the vietnam leap without that But then since there's people like Joe Dispenza, Robin Sharma, Mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Four Agreements, which we've spoken about, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, uh, all sorts of things. But Joe Dispenza is a key one, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That's where I knew that possible mind change was genuine. Uh, I also read books like The Secret. I thought I might as well try it. And (laughs) it worked, I suppose. Napoleon Hill. Yeah, I read quite regularly, but Joe Dispenza is probably the one Alongside Paul McKenna, that I would cite as the biggest influence on me personally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it sounds to me that uh, you are, you have, for me, you have such a strong mental strength, what I see right now. And, and, and then your like kind of will to live is so strong that actually, okay, there are so many books out there, like all the books that you said, but it's also about like your willingness to get over your depression and your current state that actually made the difference. So you actually took actions once you read all those books, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And I wonder like what kind of practices that you have right now. So it sounds all very easy, (laughs) you know, like uh, keep myself in check, um, (laughs) let my emotions be. But actually it's like, for me, what I see is like a series of good habits um, that you have, let's say. Sure. And what are those for you right now?
2: Yeah, I think I always... uh, try to visualize or imagine what I could be and it's almost the opposite of what happened before where 2017 I genuinely could not see a future could not mm. see anything and thought this is just going to be a lifetime of misery let's just end it now hence what almost happened and then I've almost flipped that and thought there are no limits like the things I could achieve I feel like I'm not even at two percent of my potential I feel like I'm extremely excited for what can come and to do that I think of myself not in a like secret type way, but I do visualize what I could be and I do everything possible to stick to that. So when it comes to eating, I used to just devour a pizza whilst now I'll think, and I still do occasionally, <laughs> but um, now I'll think, okay, well, if I was that version, what would I need to do? I should probably eat more fruit and vegetables. I should probably sleep a more effective time. I should hang around with positive people and we can talk more about that. And um, I should yeah, do some meditation. I should go out in nature. I should challenge myself more. And all of these really small habits, which seem meaningless will ultimately add up. And I've noticed that quite a lot where I will do five or six things a day, which are really positive, but I don't see the immediate reward. And I've acknowledged now and accepted that you're not going to get a reward for a long time, but when you do, it's going to be amazing. And I've seen that with podcasts or books or friendships that I've made where They just happen out of the blue. And I've even noticed in the last year, going back to what we mentioned, I, a a couple of points in Vietnam. Vietnam has overall been a very positive journey, but there were a couple of months where I felt slightly lost due to perhaps old issues resurfacing, the lockdown, lack of purpose. And I thought, what can I do to get out of this? So I thought, why don't I get a creative endeavor and start a project? And we will obviously talk more, but that was, you know, the catalyst. And if I get those small habits in place, that can happen. And from doing this, I've noticed I've almost been attracted to more and more interesting people and inspiring, influential, action-taking, understanding, compassionate people just because I changed my inner self. And I realized the only thing I can control is how I behave to myself. I can't make anybody come and do anything. or The only thing I can do is work on myself. That is literally it. So as long as you control the controllables and don't <laughs> worry about the things that you can't, then you will be okay. Even in this lockdown, I realized okay, well, there's no point in me sitting at home saying, I wish I could go out because I won't be able to go out until October. So up until that, I have to prepare myself as well as possible for when it is. So interview as many people as possible to meet after the lockdown, read as much as possible, eat the best diet, do as much running. So to answer your question succinctly, which I haven't done, (laughs) is (laughs) is to just control the controllables and make sure the little things are taken care of. There's no grand... There's never really been, in my life, from the the bad times or the good times, a big moment. There's never been like a, you know, aha, magic, this is the key. It's always just a series of small things happen that get things into place for good. So that's what I try to do, Take, take control of the controllables and control the little steps.
0: Do you uh, practice journaling? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good. Regularly. Yeah. Journalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what yeah. I, that's what taught me. Yeah. I remember. I thought, how can I be a good journalist? And someone said, journal. I went.
0: Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Do you have any prompts that you want to give to the audience? Like, do you use any prompts for journaling?
2: Um. Usually free flow. Mm-hmm. I think I'll track progress occasionally. I'll, yeah, write down where I want to be, mm-hmm. what I've done, and usually when I've had a very rough day, I'll write the things that i've done previously so i'll go but i'll try and go back to 2017 me and mm. go imagine if you'd have said in four years you will move to <laughs> vietnam start a podcast i'd, I'd have laughed i said no chance but I, I i write letters perhaps to my old self just to yeah. remind myself like you've done pretty well so far keep going and then ultimately in another five years i can write a letter to myself saying wow look what you did then so i suppose then but not usually it's free flow
0: i love uh, it i love how you uh you know you you talk about like being driven by your vision, the vision of who you can be in the future and like who you were in 2017. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. Very nice.
1: And it's amazing, really, how it's a, it's, you are the great example of like all the little things that really, it's very, very well said that all the little things that actually add up. I think many people out there are so impatient. To make the change happen really fast and it requires diligence, hard work to actually get where you are today, especially with such a strong uh, mental issue like depression.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm, Yeah, I noticed that I used to be controlled a lot by the external world. So if something good happened, like I went to a party and it was fun, I was in the best mood possible for two days and I'd go too high in my emotions. However, there's only one way from there and it's down. Down, down. So therefore, if something bad happened and it wouldn't even be a hugely bad thing, let, let's say I'd fail a test or mm. I'd have a really bad day or someone would say something slightly harsh to me. The whole world was dreadful. There was mm. literally complete control was in the external. So now I look internally, I realize that 100% responsibility is the key where if I can take responsibility for the way I think, the way I behave, the way I act, then the others will take care of themselves. And it's so true that it's not actually the world that's the issue, it's how you see it a lot of the time. So if I can control that, then mm. I can control a lot more. So that's what I try and do.
0: I, uh, I can relate so much into all of this because I feel like there's the same, like you know, when I was um, in that crystal meth addiction, I started reading Joe Spencer, like uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And I still remember that I, I put the audiobook and I was high as a kite. <laughs> and I was, I was listening to it and I was like, and it, it's literally talking to you about how you can actually change your reality. And, you know, intention creates the reality. And it was the first time in my life or in that period of my life where I was like, there is a chance out there. I can create something else. But what, like, you know, this life that I've created for myself and I can see you do the same. I mean, you did the same. I can hear some of the influences of th- those words in how you explain all of this. And it's it's really, really powerful. I'm really happy to have you here today. <laughs> so when did you come to Vietnam? At uh, July 2019,
2: right <laughs> okay. at the end of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, July 30th, I believe.
0: Okay, for me, it's really important that we talk about this transition from your, your recovery, we're going to call it for yeah, me, to cool. your jump to Vietnam. Because there is very essential vulnerable points that needs to be mentioned. And it's you taking really big risk being very vulnerable. So please tell us about this transition to Vietnam.
2: Yeah, no worries. Well, the reason I chose Vietnam is a very boring reason. It was the first country that offered me the job. Literally, there was no research or anything. I thought I'll just dive into it. But also I was doing teaching. And if you've a lot of people who are listening, if you've ever struggled with anxiety, doing a job where 30, Mm -hmm. 40, 50 people at the most will be looking directly at you waiting for orders instructions etc especially if you've never done it before that is teaching might be tricky so my initial reaction was I can't teach a class and I just thought no surely not I'm not cut out for it there'll be issues what if I have a bad day in the classroom and yeah I remember just thinking about it a few times and thought well if it goes wrong I can always come back that's lucky that I have a supportive network at home both of friends and family so I thought why not just go for it so upon doing it, I came to teach, and I remember first arriving thinking, what am I going to do? <laughs> I remember the, the induction week we had. We had two weeks induction where we met all the new teachers and learned how to teach, basically, and I might as well be honest, I was dreadful, and I don't mean this in a self-deprecating manner, got it all confused, didn't know <laughs> how to lead a class, how to open, And thought, how am I actually going to get this in the classroom? And then thought, just have some self-belief and go for it. And I remember my first day being really quite nervous attending the classroom. But my first lesson was a substitute. So I thought, well, give this a trial for the real event. And within two minutes, I picked it up. I said, okay, get your books out. Do this. I had the plan there. And once that was done, suddenly I realized, oh, that was it. Why was I so nervous? Why was I so catastrophizing what if it goes wrong because the very worst thing that could happen the very worst thing would have didn't work out i go back to the uk i'm still i still have some thing left in the uk Mm -hmm. so just go for it and once i did that i thought whoa i can teach and since then i've been teaching daily on autopilot you know i know how to do it i'm not like the best teacher in the world but i can (laughs) do it so then i thought i can definitely do more things that i'm capable of one i've just moved country which I didn't think I could do solo. And it's not just, it's not a similar country. Like It's the UK and Vietnam. They are worlds apart. Like there is no similarity. So I thought, right, if I can do that, move to Asia solo. I just turned 22, so young age too. And then I thought, right, I can do that. I can move country. I can teach a class where people are relying on me each day for the knowledge, I guess, when the students are looking to the teacher, then there are quite a few more things that I can do. I'm just unaware of it. So why not use Vietnam as the exploration to do so? So that was the initial yeah, discovery phase where I thought, teaching's way out of my comfort zone, Vietnam is out of my comfort zone, but I might as well try it. I'm ready now, I've read enough of the books at home. (laughs) (laughs) I've done enough meditation, now it's time to earn my crust. So two years later and I'm still here.
0: That's so nice. So how is uh, Vietnam uh, expectation versus reality? Uh,
2: that's a good question because I didn't have any expectations. I know Mm -hmm. this sounds bizarre, but I didn't think about it that much. I know this is weird because it's the biggest move I made to date, but I knew nothing about Vietnam except for the fact there was a war. And I mean, that was the the depth of my knowledge. That was all I knew. And I watched Good Morning Vietnam just (laughs) just a bit extra. So I came in slightly blind, I guess. I had six weeks just before Vietnam where a lot of things came into place i had festivals to go to with friends very good friends actually who supported me during the difficult period versus then they saw the improvement so i had a lot of fun basically in june and july 2019 so i was well set up for vietnam and it was only the day before where it sunk in i thought Ooh, <laughs> i'm going to do something quite big tomorrow mm-hmm. like i remember waking up and thinking it's not an ordinary day because the flight was at 9 pm and usually on a monday morning i don't know i'd go to work or i'd watch tv but Throughout the whole day, I thought, I'm moving to Asia tonight. This is a bit <laughs> of a change. But yeah, I suppose my expectations, I didn't really have any. I just thought, let's see what it's going to be about. I can't prepare for it because I hadn't left Europe. So I had no knowledge or no idea what to expect. So let's see. But I suppose the reality, what would surprise me is, I was, I'm was i slightly surprised that there are things like Tau Dn and D2, like Westernized areas. Because this might sound... Slightly bizarre looking back, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. I just thought it would be a completely Vietnamese experience. So, you know, the hems, the street food. I didn't think there'd be Western places. I remember the first month I thought, oh, I miss, you know, having like an English style pub to go to. And then I went to Tau d'Ien and went, there are loads. (laughs) I suppose there's that. I'm surprised at the mix of foreigners where I thought there might be a few people from England, maybe a few from South Africa, but there are people from all over the world here. There are uh, Hungary, there are Egypt. They, those are the nationalities of those I live with. Italy, French, Bermuda, even Hong Kong, China. So yeah, the mm. overall surprise was probably the variety of foreigners.
0: What was the energy of Vietnam? How did it? How did you feel?
2: Uh, a little bit, a little bit nervous at first mm-hmm. because I'm quite a, I'm quite, I say, a mellow, relaxed person, and when I cross the road. Obviously, the traffic is crazy. The people are always in a rush. There's a lot of horns. But I ultimately feel a very warm feeling from the Vietnamese. I feel like they've gone through some serious adversity themselves in so many stories. But they're still extremely warm, extremely kind. They will do things for you. And also, their work rate is astonishing. Where if I get up at 5 a.m., I'm giving myself a pat on the back to say, Whoa, look at you working hard. <laughs> that is a standard day for the vietnamese they do not relent so yeah i've been really impressed with the vietnamese people i i don't have as many vietnamese friends as i'd like to be honest with you i have a handful but i feel like in this third year of vietnam that i'm about to partake or i'm currently in i would like to perhaps meet more locals because i find it so fascinating
0: so i'm sure that you've that you grew tremendously this past two years and a half, three years? Yes. And uh, do you think you would have grown as much if you have stayed in England?
2: Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I was really ready to leave where I don't want to say I... I feel like I had reached the point where I needed a new chapter, where I spent a year after uni just working, but staying around Manchester. And I realized that if I was to stay here... I could easily become settled and the next five to 10 years could become the exact same every year. I go to the same bars, I see the same faces, I have the same experiences and I could get to 30, 40 and realize, wow, I've wasted this. Or I could also take something else, try a completely new experience, get uncomfortable, but see where it takes me. Where in Vietnam, I will learn a lot about the world about myself about other people about different cultures why not take this opportunity and in the uk i feel like things are very fixed where you get up it's cold it's wet you go Mm. to work you come back you see the same friends it can be a bit expensive and it didn't appeal to me at that point i thought yeah there's definitely something else to explore why not give it a go So I've given it a go and I don't really miss it. So to answer your question, I wouldn't have grown
0: without. And so do you think in hindsight that your environment back home was a reason for the depression? Um,
2: On one hand, yes. On one hand, no. I say no because my family and friends couldn't have been better. They were always extremely Mm -hmm. supportive. I live in a very normal area back home. There's no issues, no crime. It's very Ideal for living. Manchester is a great city, so is Sheffield. The UK, you can have fun there. I'd go to festivals and I'd meet people. I'd had quite a lot of fun there, but at the same point, there is quite a gloomy vibe I get from the UK nowadays where people are quite negative about the situation. Mm. The government doesn't help. The weather is also quite (laughs) dodgy, shall we say. So there's a collection of factors that make me think, yeah, the environment here isn't helping. And also, because I'd like struggled growing up, you know, through school and university, still a lot of the things were in place there, you know, seeing the same people, same environments. So what, if I stay there, it might affect me subconsciously. So I think moving was quite therapeutic in a way.
1: Mm. Yeah. Often we have to get out of the same, like the usual environment to actually let go of some of the patterns that Mm -hmm. we have. So it, Completely makes sense. And I, yeah, know the environment in the UK and in that area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not so uplifting. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Every time I think of Paris, when I have to go back to Paris, every time I land, I go, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> it, like, the energy just drops and then you, people are tense and, yeah, it does, it does influence, like, you know, your environment. Um, so, also, we've been in confinement. So, since you're very knowledgeable about mental health after all that you've lived through how did you experience this confinement and how how did you handle it uh,
2: i think after july i would say very well and the only reason was because i again looked internally and thought i will take 100 percent responsibility for this situation so i know the rules i know the system i know the structure of the next few weeks which is i will be in my bedroom or i will be on my rooftop And so I will do the most that I can. So if all I can do is read, do podcasts, do some writing, go to the gym, I can do a lot more than a lot of people. So in that way, I was grateful. And I realized I can control that. I can't leave the house. That's something I can't control. There's a pandemic going on, but I can control my environment. So if I make the most of this day, then it will be okay. And the pandemic situation isn't ideal, of course, it's not helpful Mm -hmm. for anybody, but, and nobody would choose it. But if I choose how I want to react, things will go fairly well. So I would schedule a lot of podcasts. I found it very therapeutic where I would write in my diary, say Tuesday at 9am, money at 11, for example. Then I would say, I will read this book today, or I will do this writing today. And I try and keep a structure. And some days it wouldn't work. Sometimes sometimes I would have a bad mental health day because they happen. Mm. And on those days, I just gave myself permission. I went, okay, uh, try to do the things that I can do. So try to go to the gym, try to read. And if I couldn't, and I would try the little things to get me there. And if there was some days where it just wouldn't work, I would give myself permission to just watch Friends or just to relax or mm. literally just give myself permission to have the off day and try again tomorrow. I read a lot of Viktor Frankl during that time. He lived through Auschwitz and realized when he was going through the concentration camp that the one thing they couldn't take away was his mind and his thoughts. Oh, yeah. Mm. So once Another I guy. thought that, yeah, literally nobody can change that but me. So I am in control. Where I used to think that it was taking responsibility. I used to think, well, you can't control everything. That's correct. But if you control the things you can control it's so much more liberating. So that's what I did throughout the pandemic. I realized, okay, I can control these variables, let's control them.
1: So well said. Really. This is
0: every, every reaction that we have is this, it's well said. There's <laughs> nothing to add to this, because it's so well said. Yeah, uh, and,
1: uh, and I think yeah. it's important for the listeners to know that yeah. it's important to have a structure, first of mm. all. But the other part is like kind of acknowledging the impact of a lockdown on your mental health and just yes. take it easy on some days. Like, you know, we don't have to be productive every mm-hmm. day even though we have a structure. We can sometimes just watch Friends and <laughs> yeah. have some pizza and it's more than enough. Yeah. And then we bounce back.
0: There's a lot of uh, keywords, uh, very important words that you said, like setting intention. And then, like you know, being responsible for the choices that we made of the things that we can control. Loving this. So the uh, the confinement is now over what are you doing like are you exploring new things or how is um life? to a
2: degree i guess you know when the confinement was over i got a bit i expected this rush of euphoria and it was very ordinary <laughs> i just thought oh okay i can do things it was slightly weird but i i've tried to arrange more in person podcasts i've mm-hmm. done 3 i've visited some friends i've mainly focused on that aspect where during the confinement i would focus more on say self development because that's all I could do. There was no point in me trying to socialize because I couldn't. So now I'm trying to get that balance back. I do believe a balance is important. I don't really agree with this hustle mentality where you should work all the time and not see your friends. I think it's very important to socialize. So I've met some good friends during this point. I've driven not out of the sea. That was my plan because I enjoy exploring Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So I've driven to different districts that I previously wouldn't go to just to see what it's like like d7 even here and foo uh (laughs) just to see what it's like so i've Mm. done things like that really and just slowly try to tiptoe back into normality i've i think the rest of october uh, i'm planning on just taking it a bit more easy and not trying to come back with this like i'm back mentality just (laughs) you know take it take it easy but after that i'm planning for the rest of the year just to yeah slowly get back to my best self
0: i love this So let's move on to the important topic of the day, your podcast. Yes. Uh, So you have the podcast Comeback. And so can you tell us a little bit more about the purpose behind the comeback?
2: Yeah, no problem. Well, I realized I needed to have a purpose first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And thought, why don't I use the knowledge that I've gained, the experiences I have, and also my degree, which is in journalism, to do something related. I would listen to so many podcasts and... I suppose dream of starting my own, but I thought that you needed a huge fancy studio or I thought that you needed contacts or that you needed all sorts of things. And one day it just hit me that you can just start this. However, before that I was doing blog interviews because I was comfortable with the writing process. And a few people would say, why don't you do a podcast? Because Mm -hmm. you save all of that time writing. I thought, yeah, but I need a fancy studio. I need this. And then one day thought I can just start with Zoom on my phone and just speak to people, see if anybody is interested and take it from there. So the purpose initially was come back, come back from adversity. And I still do touch upon this in the majority of interviews, but I also like to balance things out where I realized quite quickly that If I spoke to somebody and said, would you like to come on the podcast? What's it about? And I said, come back from adversity. They'd say, oh, I haven't faced anything Uh or I'm not comfortable, which I understand. And then I realized, I don't just want to talk about deep stuff, shall we say. I want to talk about creative projects, expat life. We have a segment called Cold Ones with Connor where we literally will get four people around a table, (laughs) a load of beers and see what happens. (laughs) See where the conversation (laughs) goes. Just mix it up. So... Yeah, I basically wanted to interview as many people as possible, learn as much as possible, and also shed light on the comeback where everybody will have faced something no matter what it is, Uh, no matter the extent really, where I wouldn't say my trauma was huge, but then I will interview people who've gone through some things that they make you listen, where there was a lady who's gone through rape ordeals, Mm -hmm. Uh, people who've been abused at childhood, and I think, whoa, this is serious stuff, yet they remain so upbeat and positive, and I think, what was it about them that got them to this point? If anything else, I can learn. And also in Saigon, there are so many people with so many nationalities, so many experiences. I can get a very direct, authentic connection with these people through this podcast medium. So that was the whole purpose behind it. And I started it mid-January of this year.
0: Mid-January of this year, and you are at as of today 260 episodes yes indeed how do you manage to produce so much in so little time
2: uh i didn't really look at the editing process that much at the start where Mm -hmm. i know that like you guys and also seven million bikes like are quite very on it with the editing very good Mm -hmm. whilst i was very much let's just get it done because if i spend the first few worrying about editing i know i'll stop yeah yeah, whilst i have the momentum keep publishing And the curiosity aspect never dawns. I've always been naturally curious. I always like meeting new people, which is weird in my introversion nature, but I wasn't quite as up there with the editing. So I just balancing it in that way and realizing that because I'm in the early stages, it doesn't have to be perfect. I know that I will listen back in three years and say, oh, that doesn't sound great, but (laughs) that was the best I could do at that point where four agreements always do your best at that time. With the knowledge I had, the experience, equipment, that was the best I could offer, do it. And then mm-hmm. when you look, when you are at a point where you're happy, if that comes, then in three <laughs> years, I'll look back and say, oh, I'm impressed with that. Or wow, look at the progress. So I suppose just do what you can.
0: And I think, I think you said on your Facebook at some point that you were focusing on quantity over quality at the beginning. So we're mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you think after 260 episodes, you found your voice? um good question
1: or maybe also like kind of what did you learn as well like besides your voice like what did you learn during the process
2: yeah i learned that we all have things that we're dealing with we're all ultimately fairly similar Mm. as people not to sound too spiritual but i do believe that and also that we no matter what it looks like from the outside everybody has gone through challenges that affect them and everybody can teach you something this can be for good or for bad. I've learned mainly, usually in my podcast for good, people have inspiring stories. But I'll also, it will also make me realize that in the external world where I'll come across people that I don't see eye to eye with, it's not a logical conversation where I will have my own condition of the world just because of my experiences. And so will they. So it helps me learn about other people, their motives, their intentions, the way they, the reason why they behave the way they do. Excuse me. And that, yeah, logic sometimes doesn't apply. So it's made me realize a lot about why people behave the way they do in the 260 episodes so far. That's probably the key takeaway.
1: Yeah. It's really good. It's a good message because we often tend to idolize other people or, or have like a imaginary portrait of that person in front of us and then behave or judge other people according to what we think of the other person. But during your interview, you probably realized that, no, uh, actually, it's not the way I thought he would be or she would be. And, and looking deep, we all have our strengths yeah. and weaknesses, and it's okay, and it's completely normal.
2: Yeah. And I also took control from that, where if somebody is not how I thought they would be, then that's my responsibility to look at the thought process that made me think that. Where I'd interview I've interviewed a couple of people that I'd look up to growing up in certain fields, like in fairly fairly celebrity status. And I initially was like, wow, I'm interviewing this person. And within a minute I thought, they are the exact same as me. They all sat there via Zoom <laughs> talking to me. It's my responsibility to have this idolized view of them. It's made me realise that everybody is the same, really. That is ultimately the takeaway that I've, you know, had from doing this podcast.
0: Very good. Yeah. So the comeback is not only interviewing people in Vietnam is no, that right? it's not you're interviewing all over the world yeah. very good so has the podcast after in less than a year now it's it's been less than a year yeah. 260 episode has it helped you put your own life in perspective definitely yeah yeah
2: there's definitely been points where i've realized that things that i thought mattered don't they really don't in the grand scheme of things And also helps me realize that people see the world differently to me, where at home back in the UK, I'd only have a small circle of friends, very good friends, that over time we would build the rapport where they know that I'm having a bad day and I wouldn't have to say it. Like they would know. Same with my family. And we never really argued. We just got on fine. Whilst here in Vietnam, there are so many different people from so many different cultures and experiences that you have to be a bit more direct and say right the reason i'm not meeting with you today is because i'm struggling and you have to be aware that some people won't get it and the reason isn't because they're ignorant or they're rude or they're horrible it's because they just don't understand you to their experience and a whole variety of other factors where someone will enjoy a certain part of vietnam i won't and it yeah it helps me just recognize where i stand and how to set boundaries with a lot of people that come into my life and also where to go with it who i should be friends with who i should be acquaintances and the nature of how the relationship should be so it definitely helps me in being more open-minded i believe i already was but really experiencing it firsthand how people are Uh, not just assuming like don't make assumptions uh (laughs)
0: three also
2: yeah Yeah, that
0: Uh, so what's your plan for the podcast until the end of this year
2: Uh, at the end of this year i think uh, expand a bit more on the equipment so i've got more useful equipment like i have microphones (laughs) so yeah i'm looking at inspiration yeah yeah. um work more on editing i've been doing that a lot more since roughly june i would say where Mm -hmm. at the beginning i just publish unedited And then I realized making the small tweaks right now will help me for the future. So doing that and more in person where the main reason why I'm glad it's universal all over the world is because during the four month confinement period, I had to interview via Zoom, but it's nowhere near like the experience (laughs) in person, like as you're aware. So I'm just trying to interview as many people based in Vietnam as possible And I know I'm focusing on quality over quantity, but I also like to have a goal. So I'm thinking two more months, can I get to 300? (laughs) There is a part of me, but but if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world, you know? I just like to do that really. And also improve as an interviewer where... Uh, occasionally someone will say oh you must know what exactly what to say now no no as soon as i start interviews now sometimes i feel lost it's Mm. 260 like i thought i'd be an expert by now no and i don't think i ever will be and i'm completely content with that so i think try to get better with every single interview i do learn from if an interview went well or where it didn't go well and also take full control where i now think that if an interview doesn't go well it's completely on me Uh, i can't blame the guest i can't say well Mm. they didn't do this (laughs) i can't control that The only thing i control is my questions how i guide the interview how i make them feel to make it the best interview possible and if it doesn't go well then it's my fault and i need to look at why that doesn't happen how i wanted it to and tailor it accordingly for the next guest so to answer your question just go (laughs) do as many as possible that i enjoy make them the most effective way that i can and enjoy it and learn
1: I really like the creative process, actually, that you describe, because many people, when they want to start something, they always struggle, like, oh, but it has to do good. As you said, Mm -hmm. like, you have to have all the equipments, you have to, and it's all focused about, like, how other people perceive us by what we are doing, rather than going to the inwards, like, kind of, I want to do this, and I just do it. And it's really great to hear your story, because it's really described that, yeah, we don't have to be anything for anyone we just want to do it and you just uh, had a faith in it and did it every day
2: yeah i used to think that i needed a studio sponsorship Mm. a guest somebody to work the camera for me i thought and i thought if i go down that route and try and sort out seven or eight different things and wait until then i'm ready it could be five years and i won't actually do anything whilst if i start right now with what i have when I eventually have a nice studio, shall we say, I'll have 200 episodes experience of how to actually interview people. Like right now, I don't know about the technical stuff that can wait, but I can control how I interview people. So if I learn that skill by doing it as much as possible, mm. slightly related to the 10,000 hour rule where you know, <laughs> try and get as many hours mm. under your belt as possible experience, then I will be in a much better place when the time comes. So control what I can, which is, try to get as much experience as possible and that's what i will look to do for the
0: rest of the year very good it's very difficult to be a host when someone speaks so well about everything (laughs) you expand and you explain everything and it's yeah it's it's really nice where do you see it grow next
2: good question and i'm not entirely sure to be completely honest with you. I'm in a slight conundrum where I'm not sure whether I should be specific on my exact intentions and goals for the podcast, or should I continue with the momentum that it gives me? Because this helps me out in so many areas where I'm more fulfilled, more content, more purposeful. I will explore other avenues as a result. I used to be very, very shy talking to people, Now, because of the pod, I realize I can connect with more people. I can share interesting stories. And also, I'm sure you found this, when you do a podcast with someone, it's a very different connection than if you met them at a bar or at work, because if say i met you at work and i said what's your life purpose where do you want to go you'd probably tell me where to go but if i interview on a pod it's a real thing where we've discussed yeah. things today you probably wouldn't ask me in the street related to depression etc so i suppose it's a conundrum of trying to connect with as many people as possible and learn as much as possible but also expanding it in terms of where it goes where it reaches certain audiences, demographics. It's a it's a tricky balance, but it can only be a problem if I make it a problem. So if I keep enjoying it, and then eventually when I get the moment where I think, oh, I should maybe take it to video or only do two guests a week or only do one guest or bring in a co-host, then I will make that decision. But for now, whilst I'm enjoying the process of doing as many as possible, but also tailoring them to be as polished as they can be then i suppose i'm happy so that's Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal right now
0: i think um i think you are totally right i think it's a tool of growth for you right now and i can see it grow with you so i understand like you don't need to have a clear vision you don't need to say to people okay like in two years i have a five years plan or anything like this because you're still growing so much i mean like the connor from before coming to Vietnam to in Vietnam to after the confinement is tremendously different. So I'm excited actually to see your growth and then I'm sure that, you know, the comeback, I mean, the podcast will grow with it. So this is quite, quite beautiful.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and as you were said, like if you wait for the time to be ready, (laughs) maybe that time would never come because we can never be ready for anything. It just is a matter of like, you decide that you want to do it then you
2: mm. just do it. It actually put me off. I remember <clears throat> I got put off quite a few times growing up where I think I would start a pod, but I've not got a clear vision. I don't want to be a YouTuber. Mm. I need to get money for it, etc. <laughs> uh, genuinely, that's what I thought. And then <clears throat> I realized, why not do it for fun? Mm. And I asked myself, would I do this for fun? if I If nobody listened, would I still publish this? My answer is absolutely yeah. Because I get to speak to so many people and learn so much. I'm obsessed with learning. I really am obsessed with learning and trying to get better. And I've read somewhere, I don't know if this is exactly true, that there's a part of your brain that isn't fully developed until you're 25. So I went, once I got to 23, thought, right, try and learn as much as possible <laughs> until I'm 25 <laughs> to take into that next stage. So I, yeah, I will keep doing it for as long as I enjoy it. And I can't see it stopping. It's always been something that's interested me going back to when I was eight or nine, you know, I'd be interested in how someone would do something, why they would do it. Everyone really interests me and not in a weird way where I'm like, I wonder what they're thinking. But I I do think everybody came to Vietnam for a reason, you know, try and establish a connection. And some, I've met some really good friends actually, as a result of the podcast, some people that I've really connected with that I probably wouldn't otherwise and in so many other ways I've connected to people who have listened who were a bit surprised I've got a couple of friends actually from school who we didn't really have a connection and then they would reach out and go wow like you're interviewing some great people and talking about things that you know and i mean this respectfully i didn't think you would you would do i said okay that's cool that was me three years ago i'm very mm. different now and i like yeah growing and learning with it so that's ultimately what i'm going to keep doing do it until i get bored of it but that doesn't seem to be coming anytime
0: soon yeah perfect so if you don't have anything to add i'll just roll this up um the last, we're trying okay. out a new question
1: okay oh. we are so um, if you are at the end of your life, how do you want to be remembered?
2: A very good question. I think somebody who always gave it a go. Somebody who did go through some challenges, but whatever happened, always thought there is another option, there is another way, and in that journey tried to benefit both the work that he does in terms of myself and other people. Tried to bring as many people along on the ride as possible. And ultimately, try and do some kind of good. That would be my message.
1: Amazing answer.
0: Wow. I have a hard time speaking. After <laughs> <laughs> so um, now the last, the last bit is, is more so. It's not a question, but it's just uh, we're going to leave you the mic for, you know, 45 seconds, one minute. And just to uh, give you a shout out. And if you have anything that you require from our audience or community that can maybe be helped with, that's your time. So, Excellent. Time up now? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, well, the podcast is Comeback. Uh, Comeback beats the setback. It is available on all streaming platforms. And I'm open to any guest, regardless of nationality, experience, uh, field, etc. I'm always willing to learn something. So if you want the opportunity to discuss your story or your journey, feel free to get in touch. I like to think that I could have a connection and we could make something really positive happen. If you enjoy any of the content, you can check it out on all these platforms and remember that it's not what happens to you, it's how you react. The comeback does beat the setback. That is my message. Thank you for listening.
1: Wow. <laughs> boom, drop the mic. <laughs> boom.
0: boom, boom, Well, that's it then. Thank you so much, Connor. I'm not going to go into uh, anything because you speak very well. I'm, I'm very excited to see again where this will all go. I'm very happy that I got the chance to actually interview you physically. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Moni.
1: Thank you so much. And uh
0: yeah, see you soon. (laughs) See you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.